Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 5th. Apologies for the delays in today's Mini Break. We are recording a bunch of different projects and have a couple of different things in the works going on right now at Cracked Rackets. And so, unfortunately, was not able to record this podcast until later in the afternoon today. Nevertheless, we never want to leave you Cracked Rackets listeners hanging. And so, of course, we have an episode for all of you to listen to today, and that episode is going to focus on something that I think all of us tennis fans are so excited to get the opportunity to focus on once again. That, of course, is the return of sanctioned tour play, the WTA Tour, kicking off the return of tour action this week by hosting an international-level event in Palermo. So many outstanding players in the field, our top eight seeds, all dangerous for various different reasons. Whether it be Petra Martic, Annette Conteve, Donna Vekic, Ekaterina Alexandrova, and more. It's a stacked field. And that's obviously because all of these players, you know, they're professional tennis players. They want to live out their careers. They want to play if the opportunity is presented to them. And so, so many across the globe jumping on this opportunity to get back in on the action. Palermo, an event happening on red clay this week. And, you know, that despite the Western and Southern. U.S. Open three-week bubble in New York that is upcoming. You know, players want to get reps. They want to play matches. They want to have the opportunity to make some money. They want to, you know, all of these various different things, earn some points for themselves. And so, you know, that's led to some really spectacular action in Palermo. And I've pontificated on this topic already this week on the podcast. And, you know, often I've thought about this question as we were wondering if professional tennis would return in 2020. What would the level of play look like when these players return to the court? How will so many of them have spent uh, their past five months during this global pandemic? Would they have been able to find time to train, to continue to improve their games, especially you know for those younger players, really ages 29 to, I'll say 24 to 25, that's really when the improvement can still be on a rapid day-by-day basis. Uh, and you, know, you can still get better, obviously, later in your career, but you understand what I'm trying to say, listeners. The point being, it was always going to be fascinating to to see how these many players return, especially given these circumstances. And we have our first round, first two rounds, I suppose. I really think the first round, I don't think there were any buys. I think they just divided the first round into two days. We have our first wave of results to break down in five months. And so that is going to be the focus of today's podcast. Of course, if you want to hear my picks from throughout the day, you want your update every morning, I highly recommend you go check out our GSP Ace of the Day brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. We want to get in on the action here at Cracked Rackets. We imagine you listeners do as well. And so thus far this week, we're one in one overall was so, oh, so close to hitting Monday's parlay before Maria Sicari went down. Nevertheless, we rebounded strong on Tuesday. Think we're going to look good on Wednesday, although as I'm recording this, one of the players I thought was going to have some success today, Christina Pliskova. Uh, ex- yeah, Christina Pliskova currently down a break. She took the first set 
that 6-3 over Sarah Arani. Down, lost the second, 6-4 Arani. Now up a break again, 3-2 in the third. So maybe it's good that you didn't listen to today's podcast. Maybe you can get in on the action starting tomorrow. But those are available each and every morning of the weekday here on the Great Shot Podcast. So be sure to check those out. And of course, uh, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here on the mini break is because of the amazing support we get from our friends at both Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And it's all part of our philosophy here at Cracked Rackets. And you know it by now. To play tennis well, you got to look good, feel good, to play good, right? And that's a three-part component. Of course, part of that stress is uh, you want to look good. You got to have the right gear, the right rackets, the right strings, the right tensions, the right shoes, everything on court. You know, you need your gear to be up to snuff if you want to bring out your best performance. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports come in. And I'll keep it sweet and simple today, folks. You know the deal. All of the rackets, the shirts, the strings, the shoes, any sort of combination of tennis equipment you are looking to find, you can on our friends Midwest at our friends MidwestSports.com. The best news, if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, you're new to the game, or you want to switch racket, hear about the new technology, maybe hear about the new shoes, or just how the game has changed. Maybe you're just getting back into it after a couple of years delay. Rest assured, the staff at Midwest Sports are intimately familiar with all of their equipment and can help you find that perfect gear that is sure to bring out the best in your tennis game. Now, you can learn more about all of this by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. While you're there, save yourself a little money by using our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. So, go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. Also, want to highly recommend, again, look good, feel good, play good. How are you going to feel good? By focusing on your nutrition, on your fitness. And that's where our friends at Aerobar come in as they are providing the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. They're also coming on our show each and every Thursday to record our Getting to the Point series, our focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern tennis game. It's been so much fun. Outstanding guests like Michael Russell, Jay Berger, Lauren Embry, Billy Pate. You know, I could go on and on and on. The easier way is just go listen to those episodes. And of course, go continue to support our friends at Aerobar. It's just a nutritious day to start your way. Uh, start it's a nutritious day to start your way. A nutritious way to start your day. Hey, great shot. Uh, obviously, I did not eat my Aerobar to this morning, but you can go get your supply of Aerobars by turning to their website, Aerobar.com. You use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% your off your order as well. Look good, feel good, play good with us here at Cracked Rackets by turning to our friends at MidwestSports.com and at Aerobar.com. Okay. Want to get to Palermo. I should have mentioned this at the top. One other brief U.S. Open update as we do plug along because, again, we are just trying to get everyone back up to speed, back up to snuff to be prepared for that three-week bubble in New York because if it's able to happen, and as of right now, it seems all systems go. It seems like the USDA has invested too too much time, too many resources into attempting to make this bubble happen. That even as we learn about some of the players who won't be attending the U, you know, the USTA is 
uh, all intent on hosting this three-week bubble. They continue to release further details about what's going to be required for players who uh, want to participate in the event, what the safety and health guidelines will be, what will happen to you as a player if you violate those safety and health guidelines. And again, this is something I want to get in depth on. It's its own podcast talking about the safety and health guidelines, previewing the U.S. Open, talking about the field, all of these separate things. But because we learned a few new tidbits, just want to share some of those with you right now. Uh, again, with uh, everything going on, with the if a player leaves the bubble without written permission, they'll be removed from competition and fined. If that happened to some from someone's in someone's player's entourage, not only will that same thing happen, uh, the player will be fined. They will also be denied a credential for the 2021. U.S. Open as well, and you know some of the notable players that will not be playing the U.S. Open. No Rafa, no Federer, and by the way, Rafael Nadal. That was the other thing, uh, f- making his announcement official that he's withdrawing from the event. Just not comfortable right now, traveling to New York, playing an event, given everything going on around the globe. And you know, I'm not going to criticize that decision. I'm not going to criticize any player that makes that decision because it really is such a personal choice, such an individual choice. No one can tell you whether you're comfortable or not with anything going on right now, uh, given this global pandemic. So no Rafa, given what we've heard over the past few months, that's not going to be a surprise to anyone, his plan to focus and hopefully uh, play once Roland Garros comes around. But no Rafa, no Federer, no Monfils, no Fonini, no Wawrinka, no Kyrgios, no Songa, no Pui, and I guess no Air Bear is seems pretty significant as well. Uh, now, in in terms of, you know, I think the entry cut line right now is 127. Uh, so that's where we're at. Also, this will be the first uh, draw to feature, first Grand Slam and the men's main draw to not feature either Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, I believe, since 1999. 1999, I was three years old, turning four that October at the time of the U.S. Open. I imagine I was toilet trained. I imagine I was a really sharp three-year-old, just being who I am, knowing me. I know I was rocking a bowl cut as well at that time, but just a crazy little factoid. You know, 1999, I didn't have a little brother. I was the little brother at that time. And, you know, I'm sure for all of you, 1999, 20-plus years ago, it would throw all of us back. You know, none of us are doing the same thing now we were 20 years ago. And by the way, if you are doing the same thing now you were doing 20 years ago, Props to you because you figured your shit out early in life. Or maybe, you know, again, that's just the stage you were at and that commitment ended up working out. If you're committed to anything 20 plus years, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a job, no matter what it is, that's a victory. That's a healthy relationship in your life. So 20 plus years, mazel tov to all of you. Anyways, that's the last time we had a Grand Slam without Federer and Nadal. It's crazy to listen to, uh, crazy to think about. And of course, again, I want to talk more about the acceptance lists about what the safety and health protocols will be uh, later on when, you know, later on as we get closer and closer to that Western and Southern U.S. Open bubble starting. Of course, that's going to come on us quicker than we think. It's about a week and a half now away, I think. Yeah, 10, you know, I think it starts the 23rd, maybe a little bit before that. But yeah, we're about 10, you know, 20 days away from that three-week bubble starting. It did feel notable that U.S., uh, that, uh, 
WTA Player Council member Anastasia Pavlchenkova electing not to play the U.S. Open. And it's also quite noticeable that the U.S. Open total compensation down about $4 million from last year. But the first round and second round money up from last year that the uh, U.S. Open electing to increase those bottom rounds, decrease how much the winner, the runners-up, the semifinalists are getting in order to provide better compensation for those lower-ranked players who, again, in a normal season, desperately need the slams to make any sort of money to come close to breaking even, but certainly give in in the midst of a global pandemic and the heightened stress of everything going on to have the opportunity to make that additional amount of money uh, during this time by playing the U.S. Open, by knowing it's a bigger first paycheck. That is a huge win. We talk about improving pay equity within the sport. We talk about making it uh, a more, again, equitable is the term I keep doing, but a more fair platform where a lower-ranked player has a feasible shot at making a living wage. Decisions like this make that more and more possible. So shout out to the WTA, the ATP, the ITF, and all of the players in conjunction, everyone responsible for that decision. It was the right one to make and ultimately I'm happy to say that they made it with that being said we will come back to the U.S. Open on a later date uh let's get to uh you know something that I think is equally important let's talk about our first tournament back to action in oh so long we finally have ourselves a chance to watch some sanctioned tour play. It's this week in Palermo, the WTA kicking off there with an international level event. And we've been treated to some really outstanding results. A couple of upsets early on to talk about. I believe three seeds went down in the first round in Maria Sakari. Uh, who else went down? Elise Mertens and one more ended up losing. Christine Pliskova beat Sakari. Someone beat Mertens. There's one more update. I'm sure we will get to it in a little bit. Nevertheless, know that I am aware that I believe there was one. Oh, and Vandrasova Vandrasova went down to Yuvan. That was the other one. Um, So there were three upsets of seeds going down. I want to talk about each of these matches. You know, I'm not going to break them down match by match, point by point, but I want to talk about a, a big question that I think is relevant and hovers over the WTA season as we focus upon this restart, as we get ready for play to resume. And of course, the headline for the WTA and the headline probably for the next 10 to 15 years. And it's a very healthy place to be. It's a very great place to be. If you are a fan of women's tennis, if you are a vested interest in women's tennis, and that's the existence of all these incredible next-gen women's talents, right? People going all the way from Osaka, who is she really next gen anymore? You could argue she's now gen, but people younger than me is still going to be next gen until I turn 25. Because once you're 25, you're just not next gen. Let's just be honest. You're halfway through your 20s. You're there, folks. But anyways, uh, you, you talk about this generation of next gen talents. People like, obviously, Naomi Osaka, Grand Slam champion. Sophia Kennan, Grand Slam champion. Bianca Andreescu, Grand Slam champion. You know, the Coco Goffs, Amanda Anisimovas, Diana Yastrzemskas of the world. In terms of tennis talents, there are so many of them who are young women out there who are clearly going to carry the game and carry it well into the next decade, decade plus. 
But, you know, there's that generation. Of course, there's always Generation Serena, which finally seems to be phasing out Serena, uh, you know, not retiring yet, but certainly closer to it than ever before, although I suppose that's always the case. Anyways, poor phrasing by me, but, you know, people like Sharapova retiring. You see that generation stepping away from the game, and yeah, there's another elder generation, people like Halep, who are looking to add to their count, but, you know, there's also the Karolina Pliskovas of the world, who for years you wondered, is she going to break through and win a Grand Slam? And she hasn't yet. People like Petra Kvitova, who is trying to add to her title, or, you know, the Garbine Muguruthas of the world, who are looking to add their title. And then there's there's cohort of people who probably aren't quite in their primes, but are certainly close to entering it. And you know, again, the results of some of the next-gen players that they've already put up, that's why we are so excited for their future. The results of, you know, the the older generation, the Karolina Pliskovas, we've seen her be so successful for so long, it, it was always a question of when, not if. Now it's become a question of if because it's been this long and she still hasn't broken through. But there's also this middle generation of players who are either near or in their primes uh, who we are wondering, is this going to be their moment to capture the stage? Because you enter a Grand Slam, and it's a common theme on the women's side. Pick a name out of a hat. There really are 35 women in any given tournament who, if they're playing their best at a major, are legitimate threats to certainly make the quarterfinals. You could arguably, you know, you could weed that list down a little bit. But I would say every women's major for the past two years— uh, has featured at least 10 women who entered the event with a legitimate shot at winning the title. And, you know, we start to see this generation come of age. And there are two players who belong in this generation who I'm going to say are a little bit older and a little bit too far accomplished to belong here. And that's Alina Svitolina and Madison Keys. They're closer to the Pliskova category given their prior accomplishments than otherwise in terms of can these players win Grand Slams? You know, do they have the talent? Because it's clear that they've proven those two both have the talent. It's just a matter of getting over the finish line. But there's a generation of players, 24, one of them 25, who have put up an interesting slew of results on the tour, but not quite enough to solidify themselves as, you know, in the conversation as future Grand Slam champions. Now, these players are certainly people we expect to see near the top of the WTA game, seated at the Grand Slams, maybe even, you know, the occasional World Tour finalist appearance. Uh, But, In these four players, I think we're at a very interesting inflection point. And the four names I'm talking about, and I tweeted about this yesterday, and I really do plan to write about it for our website, CrackedRackets.com, are the players um, uh, who are, again, ages 24 to 25 in Maria Sakari, Annette Conteve, Elise Mertens, and Donna Vekic. And it's so interesting that they're all paired so closely together on the WTA live rankings right now because as we return to play, Maria Sakari's number 20 in the world. That's her career high. Annette Conteve, number 22 in the world. That's eight off her career high of 14. Elise Mertens, 23 in the world. That's 11 off her career high of number 12. And Donna Vekic, who's number 24 in the world, that's five off her career high of number 19. And again, all of these players, you know, I think Sakari turned 25 this month. Conteve, Mertens, Vekic, all 24 years old. 
they're all playing this week in Palermo, and they are really the four I have focused on here early on. And let's start with Dana Vekic, who was arguably the most important, uh, most impressive performer of the group on day, you know, through the first round of this Palermo action. And you know, Vekic, uh, a really successful result for her, a two and a one and two win over Annette Roos. You know, it was the first victory back of any player in sanctioned tour play in 2020, so it was making the rounds on tennis Twitter. But you watch the highlights from Donna Vekic, and you can't, you know, you can't be anything other than impressed. The ball clearly jumps off of her racket, and duh, you know, she's a top 25 player on the WTA Tour. It's going to jump off of all of their rackets. But, you know, the way she moves around the court, the way she's able to change directions, both handle and then dish back out pace, uh, different spins, different elevations, again, uh, her movement around the court, how comfortable she looks on the red clay. She's an outstanding talent, and now, you know, you look at her frame, uh, it definitely is something that can be attacked. She's not the biggest in stature, although I suppose she is 5'10", so you look at it in theory, uh, that should be more than enough, but, you know, the second serve floats a little bit, and yet... I thought her firepower was outstanding. There were times when the you know uh, her opponent's serve, Roos's serve, kind of got up on her, and you know she would float a return that Roos, who had to be aggressive to take chances in this match, uh, you know was aggressive and would get her on the defensive, but. Overall, I was just so impressed by the way Donna Vekic took control of the point. She went for her shots. She, again, she was the one dictating the rate of play. She was the one dictating what was happening on any given point. And you just look at what Donna Vekic has accomplished thus far in her career. And again, really good in her win there. She advances to the second round today. Someone I also discussed on today's GSP Ace of the Day. You know, Vekic is starting to really hit her stride on tour. Fourth round at the 2019 French Open, quarterfinals at the 2019 U.S. Open, third round in Australia. You know, again, you look at it overall, uh, she continues to improve her win percentage. She jumped up to 43% on the WTA Tour uh, in 2017, went 16 and 21, 31 in 24, uh, two years ago, 35 and 24 last year. Now, no titles for her since 2017, but she did make two finals on the year. You look at where those finals were last year. Again, one of them coming at a premier event in St. Petersburg where she lost to Kiki Burtons. The other coming on the international level on grass last year where she lost in a three-set thriller to seven six sets to Caroline Garcia. It's quite clear she's making strides in her game and the biggest question has just been, again, in the biggest moments, can she break through? You look at some of her losses at the slams and they're not bad losses by any stretch of the imagination, but you look for Vekic at the U.S. Open, you remember back to last year, Vekic lost that match to Belinda Bencic, who's another really talented young up-and-comer, right? You look at it this year in the third round for Donna Vekic at the Australian Open and who took her out there, and again, it was another young, talented up-and-comer, Iga Sviatek, and so for Donna Vekic, the question is, it's quite clear she's talented. It's quite clear she is going to be a top 30 player for quite a bit of time. But does she have the upside of someone who can become a top 10 staple, someone who's competing not just for year-end finals and making that, you know, doing really well at the premier level and below, but at premier mandatories, premier fives, the grand slams, can she compete and beat the best? Does she have enough weapons? Does she have something that differentiates her from the other top talents in the game? Something she can turn to because it's quite clear, again, she's got a lot of skills, a lot of, you know, her her 
floor as you know probably as high as any of these young players but it's her ceiling is that as high as someone who hits the ball as big as a Belinda Bencic as big as an Arnia Sabalenka right now the answer seems to be no but I just, I don't know. I, I'm just so impressed by Donna Vekic's talent. I think she's in such an interesting place. Again, I thought she looked really good coming out on the clay. It's quite clear she's competent on all three main surfaces. Uh, and that's going to be important for any pro player who wants to break through in this era with all of these talents we have now in our game. So just, again, impressed by Donna Vekic in round one. Interesting to see where she is at heading into this year. You could say a lot of the same things about Annette Conteve, our number four seed, who was a 6-3-6-3 winner over Patricia Teague yesterday. You look for Annette Conteve. I mean, her results get better and better, and I think we all know what she's capable of. Semi-finalist last year in Miami, quarter-finalist this year in Australia. You know, she's someone who has been now inside the top 40 for the past three and three and a half years and continues to prove as well. Uh, you know, 58% win percentage in 2017, 59 in 2018, uh, 61% in 2019 now. You know, she's played, I think, 14 matches through 2020, but she's at 64%. Only one final last year, one final in 2018, but made three finals in 2017, won a title in that season. And, of course, you know, she's made a Premier Mandatory Premier 5 final in the past. She made the Wuhan final in 2018, lost three three and three to Sabalenka but you look throughout her career what's also encouraging a she's another player who's made finals on all three surfaces already this early in her career and you know she got her one title at the international level on grass but you know a couple of other losses to Burton Sabalenka Kvitova and Vandrusova in her other finals but you just watch the ball explode off of Annette Conteve's racket. And again, I know all of these players are super talented. They're going to hit the ball differently than 99% of humans. But the way Annette Conteve takes balls early, the way she is able to take time away from opponents, how competent she is on the serve, her ability to go down the line off of both wings. It's once again impossible to see her play and not think this is, you know, an in a non-ordinary, extraordinary, as we say, extraordinary uh, WTA talent. This is someone who clearly strikes the ball cleanly and differently than 99.9% of tour players. You know, that talent, her ability to strike the ball, her ability also to create pace and depth and, you know, just, again, absorb them as well. It's really impressive. Now, I don't think Conteve moves as well as Donna Vekic, but I do think she hits a bigger ball than Vekic. I would put Annette Conteve in that, you know, Belinda Bencic category where, you know, you're not hitting the ball maybe as big as a Sabalenka or a Serena who are in that tier one plus, plus, plus one of a kind talents in terms of how hard they can crack the ball. Uh, But she's probably tier two. Uh, You know, she belongs with the Benchiches of the world and all the other players. You know, Osaka probably hovers in between the two. You know, Petra Kvitova probably tier one when she's playing her best, but a big banger tier two. I put Madison Keys tier one in terms of power. Just maybe Maybe not always able to rein it in, but that's what I'm saying. That's the sort of ball striker, <laughs> excuse me, 
Annette Conteve is, and she looked that impressive, you know, came out, got an early break, but Teague broke her back, and then once Conteve was able to establish control of that first set, had multiple breakpoint chances, she was just in control, she was dictating the rate of play. But then she fell down three love in that second set against Teague, and, you know, first match back, are you, do you have the match chops to go the distance? If you're Annette Conteve, do you just throw in the set and run things back in set number three? You know, that's not what she did at all. She worked her way back. She got disciplined. She made a few extra balls. She played a little bit of defense, put the onus on Teague to hit her off the court, to beat her. And Conteve had a lot of success. Now, you know, I don't love the second serve for Conteve, but I think the first serve is a weapon. And in this match against Teague, she makes 61% of them, wins 74% of those first serve points. You know, that's critical. That's crucial. And uh, you know, she did a really good job about that. Again, another really talented ball striker who seemingly is getting better and better with each passing season. You know, movement has always been a big issue for her. Not a big issue, but the biggest issue. And I mean, she looked fit as a fiddle in her first match, was moving really well in Palermo. So again, another interesting player to watch. Now, two players who were upset this week, uh, Elise Mertens, the number five seed, who again, 24 years old, uh, she got knocked out by the extraordinarily talented Alexandra Sasnovic, uh, who again, at 26 years old, not exactly old by any stretch of the imagination. Sasnovic, though, just on fire with a 6-4, 6-1 win over Mertens. Maria Sakari also dropped uh, a 6-4-6-4 decision to Christina uh, Pliskova, so they were both upset, but they belong in this category, and, you know, for Elise Mertens, I think out of all of the four in this group, I'm going to talk about Sakari Vekic, Mertens, and, um, excuse me, Annette Conteve, Uh, you know, Mertens is probably the most accomplished. She already has won a Grand Slam in her career. Now, granted, it was in doubles, but still, when you have that sort of doubles success early on, you deserve it, right? You you should uh, enjoy yourself, and so you should, of course, also uh, enjoy yourself. I mean, you should build confidence, and so she certainly has, and, you know, she won Indian Wells Miami back-to-back in doubles that last year that led eventually uh, to a U.S. Open title as well. Uh, So for her, again, she's had that success in doubles. Now in singles, she's had a lot of success as well. She's already won a premier level event in Qatar when she knocked out Simona Halep in three set. She's also got four other international level titles as well as another international level final. And you look at the players she's beaten in some of her finals. Again, to beat a Sabalenka, to beat a Simona Halep in a WTA final. Uh, That obviously is going to take some match chops, and you look at what she's done at the Grand Slams in singles. You know, fourth round at each major already. Semifinals at the Australian in 2018. She made fourth round this year. Her last three years at the French, third round, fourth round, third round. Her last two years at Wimbledon, third round, fourth round at the U.S. Open, fourth round quarterfinals. Everything's trending up for Elise Mertens. And, you know, again, she's another player who does a lot of things well across the surface, across the board on, you know, on the court. And she's got a lot of different skills at her disposal. Certainly being a doubles player on top of all of her singles success only adds to those skills. And it's just really interesting to see because, again, where does someone like Elise Mertens, who's had a lot of career success, you know, a lot of success at a lot of different places. You look for her, you know, in that 2018, 
2018 uh, Australian Open semifinal. She really uh, very well could have been, you know, could have beaten Caroline Wozniacki. She ended up losing that match 6-3-7-6 in terms of last year at the U.S. Open where she got knocked out. She, again, could have come, she could have beaten Bianca Andreescu. She won that first set 6-3, lost the next two, two 2-3. So she's someone who clearly has the talent to break through, but do you think of her in the same category as an Andrescu, as a Kennan? Certainly in terms of week in, week out. I guess Kennan has probably accomplished that sort of level of success if you look at how successful she was over the course of that 2019 season. She really did go, you know, she's really worked her way up the the uh, pedestal. Uh, but no, for sure, if you are, uh, you know, uh, Elise Mertens, you, you think you belong in that conversation. You certainly think, you know, with all of the openings, you are one of those 10, 20, 30 players who enters every Grand Slam thinking, yeah, I could absolutely win this right now. And so, yeah, you know, why not? And so, yeah, she lost this match in Palermo, but another player to monitor. And then Maria Sakari, who just did not play her best against uh, Christina Pliskova. You know, she made 50 or 60% of her serves. She won about 65% of her first serve points, 60% of her second serve points. But she just never seemed to find a rhythm, particularly in, during the Pliskova service game. So we're just a lot of of sloppy, unforced errors, a lot of more making the serves than using it to open up the point for herself. But, you know, Maria Sakari was someone who was playing really well again when uh, play ended. And for Sakari, you know, she won her first WTA TA title last year in Morocco on clay uh, international level or higher. She also made a final on hard courts in 2018 at a premier event in Silicon Valley. Uh, but another player who has had some success in singles, you know, across the board, semifinal at the Italian Open, quarterfinals at Cincinnati, fourth round at this year's Australian Open, third round at last year's U.S. Open and Wimbledon. She's also made the third round at the French Open. So again, someone proficient across multiple surfaces, someone who clearly hits the ball differently than, you know, the top 95% of pro tennis players. The question for Maria Sakari, what is gear number two, right? When things aren't working for her, what is the way she adjusts in, during matches? What is the way she turns to to win ugly? And I think that's a question you could ask for Annette Contave as well. I think Bekic and Mertens probably a little bit better at going to plans B and C than Sakari and Contave, at least at this point of their careers. But for all of these players, they don't want to be overlooked. This is the moment they been waiting for, and obviously Maria Sakari again a, a six four six four loss to Carolina Pl- uh, to Christina Pl- Pliskova, who again was playing really really well uh, at, during that match, but. Yeah, it's just an interesting generation. It's an interesting time as a WTA fan because, of course, you're excited about the young studs, but you talk about these four, you throw in Keys, you throw in Svitolina, you want to throw in Kiki Burtons and Carolina Pliskova, Simona Halep into that grouping as well. There are plenty of established veterans uh, who are just itching to break through. And the question is, will the new kids get enough confidence to block them out and say, you know, sort of a la the Grigor Dimitrov uh, generation and Rayonich generation, and not that the young guys on the men's side have broken through, but will we be overlooking them when we say, yeah, you know, Simona Halep got a couple, Margarutha got a couple, but that was really it from that group. It was really Serena's time and then the next-gen time. Or will we say, actually, there was this two- to three-year little gap, 2020 to 2020, 
2023 where the keys of the world the Svitolinas of the world asserted themselves at the top of the women's game I just think it's another fascinating dynamic to monitor as we get looking forward for the hopeful resumption of professional tennis so that was an interesting result I just you know a topic I thought all of you would enjoy for today's subject a couple of other things you know Yastremska three and four over Sorab's Tormo Alexandrova a really interesting three set win for her over Kiki Mladenovic but she continued her momentum into that first run, although I believe she lost earlier today. Nevertheless, Petra Martic, 0-3 over Ali Van Utvenik. Uh, I should mention Marketa Van Drusova, a loss in three sets to Yuvan, 1-6-7-5-6-4. reason I didn't talk about that match as much, Van Drusova towards the end, sets back half of set two, set three. She clearly wasn't healthy, and you know, that's something she's dealt with a lot over the past, what, 15 months in terms of her career, really since that French Open final, and so, you know, here's to hoping Von Drusva can get healthy because when healthy, she is certainly another belongs on any list of talented young up-and-comers that you are making in the women's game. Uh, those were a lot of interesting results, and again, there were so many other great ones in Palermo. Georgie over Pedersen, you know, uh, Farrow winning, Samsonova winning. We could talk about all of them, and we will throughout the week because guess what, folks? Pro Tennis is back, and we are so excited to be talking about it. If you want to get back in on the action with our friends at Draft, DraftKings, you want a little edge to do so, go listen to our GSP Ace of the Day segment each and every day on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we are still having so many great conversations with journalists, players, coaches from throughout the professional tennis world. You can find a lot of those on our Cracked Interviews podcast. You can also, of course, listen to our new podcast, Inside Out podcast, our narrative-based show talking you know, about some of the best stories through tennis's history, season one, focusing on the history of American men's tennis, the best mail at any given time during the open era. And again, you know, so much going on throughout the professional tennis world. You don't want to miss out on any of it. So be sure to tune into all of our content, what you can find on our website, crackedrackets.com. A lot of great interviews also done on video while we were in Miami and Kentucky. You can see those by tuning into our YouTube channel. Of course, shout out as always to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f*** up and ending job they do day in, day out making all of this possible. Uh, but yes, we are so excited here at Crack Rackets for the resumption of professional tennis. And so, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about here on the mini break. And of course, we will talk more about Western and Southern and New York uh, as we inch closer to those start dates. So be on the lookout for all of that. Of course, we also ask that you go support our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Uh, you know, we could not do these podcasts without them. So be sure to go check them out as well. But with that being said, said for our wonderful super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Grusk, and you know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.